Welcome to the Only One Business Show with me, your host, James Nathan, chatting to some of the UK's leading business professionals, sharing tips, insights, and advice on how to create amazing customer experiences whilst building bigger, better, and more profitable businesses as a result. What can you do in your business today and in the years to come to truly delight your clients? What exceptional experiences can you give them to take away and cherish? How can you delight the most important person in the world? Satisfaction makes you one of many. Delighting clients makes you the only one. And you can't be just one, you have to be the only one. Hello and welcome to the Only One Business Show with me, your host, James Nathan. This week, I've got a fantastic guest in the uh, in the studio for you, and I hope you're going to really enjoy the conversation we have. He's one of those rare people that inspires while he entertains and informs. He's been an entrepreneur for 25 years running his own businesses, and he's experienced huge success as well as tasted the bitter pill of failure. All of those lessons he loves to share. He's very straight talking with a passion for business, which shows, especially when he talks about relationships, influence, and marketing. At the heart, he's a geek which is uh, something a lot of us have started to accept in ourselves, I guess. But he's someone who loves to figure out why and how things work and firmly believes we're living in times of significant change. And to stay ahead of the curve, you need to understand the game. I'm going to certainly be interested to find out what he means there. Father of a couple of beautiful adults and also a husband, he has a passion, well, he has lots of passions, which include skiing, chilling out with his old guitar, and playing dusty vinyl records. He's also a long-suffering West Ham fan, but he asks us not to hold that against him. Please welcome to the studio, Warren Cass. Warren, hi, how are you? I'm fantastic, and thank you for having me, James. It's a, it's an absolute pleasure. It's uh, And where are you today? You you in Britain or are you travelling? I'm in the Cotswolds uh, in my house today. I've got a week of catch-up in the office, which is rare and appreciated. Lovely. I, you know, those weeks don't come very often, but they're very nice, aren't they? Having 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 been out for about two and a half weeks, it makes a really nice change. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure it does. Two beautiful daughters, a husband, a couple of guitars, and some vinyl records. That sounds like a very, very easy and nice life. When when What are you playing? When What's on the turntable at the moment? Oh, crikey. Live in the Heart of the City by Whitesnake was the last final uh, <laughs> <bit of> thing. <laughs> I thought you were going to tell me you had something kind of folky, but uh, but not in any way. No, it's old school. Lovely, because we were talking earlier and you mentioned that, you know, an old, well, you've got a lovely acoustic guitar and, and then you talked about Whitesnake. So uh, you never know what you're going to find out from people. Significant times of significant change, Warren. What do you mean by that? Well, if you uh, think about, in fact, I'll, I'll refer back to the um, the subject I talk on in the book that I wrote. Um, the two biggest books on influence ever to be written were uh, "How to Win Friends and Influence People" by Dale Carnegie and "Influence the Psychology of Persuasion" by Robert Cialdini. Um, yeah. Both of those books were written in the 1930s and 1980s, respectively, before the whole digital age internet came along. And when I say times of uh, significant change, I mean in every conceivable aspect, technology, population, demographic, environment, uh, we are living in really quite interesting times of change. And it kind of impacts everything that we do. How does it? Inf- you mentioned influence, and, and obviously two two very well known books there, and I guess the third most influence influential influence book must be yours. Then is that uh, is that fair? 
I think it's early days. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. Would be nice to. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of great books on the topics, but they, they're the two two biggest that have you know stayed the test of time and and uh, and had an impact. But they were written pre technology, pre you know pre internet anyway. And, sure, of course. You know, whilst the fundamental uh, principles remain the same. Um, of course, uh, with all the demographic change that we have, it's the first time, for example, uh, we've ever had five generations in the workforce, uh, and uh, each each demographic, each age demographic, has a completely unique experience with technology. Um, you know, those of us who were not classed as millennials, we're we're very much the digital nomads, whereas uh, <laughs> wh- whereas the the rest are digital natives, and they really, um, you know, they're born with technology. They 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 very in- instinctively and intuitively use it for connecting and doing all of the the uh, usual communication things that we we all do um so it's there's there's a difference in our in our application there's a difference in in how we adopt and adapt to change and that's kind of what i'm talking about it's uh, it's interesting. I was, while you were talking there, I was thinking of uh, back in the old days when my dad bought a, v, a, a VCR for the first time, um, and you know every time he went to to program the thing, he got the instruction manual out, and he was fascinated by the fact that me and my brother knew how to just program it without checking out how to do it. Um, and I'm just wondering what he might have thought of my kids when you know the first thing they do is open up YouTube and look for whatever they need to do. And you know my my son who's uh, who's 12 taught himself to play Bohemian Rhapsody on the piano by by watching a YouTube video. Um, and that kind of thing to them is just well, why wouldn't you have that? Well, um, you, you, yeah. you mentioned the guitar earlier on. I've I've got to say, even for myself, I've been playing guitar now for probably close to 30 years, and uh, there was always one song which was my. Uh, my arch enemy, uh, the one that I really wanted to learn to play as fast as the original, which was uh-huh. uh, Don't Think Twice, It's All Right by Bob Dylan. Okay. And it's a really, really fast, intricate pick. And I just couldn't get it from the sheet music or from the tablature. And it was actually YouTube that finally allowed me to crack that song. Fantastic. No, I find that myself. I'm, I've, I'm, I've played probably about the same length of time as you although i started off in a thrash band so it wasn't really properly guitar um but it's amazing what you can learn and that that fits into so much of our lives doesn't it i mean especially in in business people are are learning at a much faster rate but is influence changing is that as how we influence and persuade different to to how it was so fundamentally when face to face probably not with the exception that uh, uh all of those different demographics and different uh, uh, age groups just have different experiences. And one of the biggest things which I think is is lacked by any kind of psychometric test or or uh, or any preconceived ideas about how people might be, it's, it's understanding context, understanding individual people's context, you know, the... the uh, uh, different influences they've had throughout their lives, of course, would be parents, teachers, uh, and colleagues, etc. But when uh, when their um, their social conditioning from a really young age involves technology too, uh, there's there's just a different context. There's a different attitude to many things, and from consumerism to politics to life, love, marriage, all of the above. Um, the world has changed, and 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 just 
for me, the biggest part of communication is taking the time to really understand the person you're talking to. Communication is never about you. It's always about who you're talking to if you want to be effective. Absolutely. I, you know, I remember someone once saying to me very early on in my career, you know, communication is the, well, the, the meaning of communication is the response that you get. Um, and I remember thinking to myself, bloody hell, that's clever, isn't it? But it's not, it's just true. <laughs> when you when you look at relationships and communication, though, has it changed, you know, with the, with the five generations that you mentioned in the workplace? Um, I, I hear a lot of people talking to me about, you know, we need to work this way for millennials. We need to change the way we operate so that they get it or, or what have you. Does it work the other way as well? Uh, does it work the other way? Um yeah, well, again, it comes down to context. Uh, I mean, touching on the millennials point that you just made, um, knowing that uh, recruitment is a, a place where you spend a lot of time, what's quite interesting about the trend with millennials uh, and and work is mm-hmm. the fact that uh, millennials are very much connected to a sense or a need for purpose. Yes. So when they're looking for careers, um a purpose is top of the agenda, actually, uh, you know, above many of the other things that would have traditionally made helped you make a decision about whether you took a job or not. Um, so I, I personally believe that the battle for talent in the future is going to be around uh, uh, organisations being really connected to their values and being able to articulate that to p- p- potential candidates. Um, so they feel that, that you know what, what they're coming to do is actually a worthwhile vocation for them. Um, so it's 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 interesting times. I, mean, I think the stats for the US were only seven percent of millennials work for Fortune five hundred companies. Mm. Only seven percent. They instead prefer to work for small business owners, where they're connected to the why of the organisation. Yeah. Or they're starting their own businesses, so they can do something which they find meaningful. Um, so that's just that's just one aspect of um, how the workplace may have changed. It's 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 um it fascinates me um because I actually my personal view is that that millennials are or younger generations I say because I think it mixes across to to the next generations as well is that um they're more in tune with those those thoughts it's not that those weren't there before it's just that they were much more they they are more obvious and more important but businesses don't tend to understand their values as well as they should. Um, the number of companies I talk to who, when you ask what the core values of the business are, will say to you, oh, we've got them. Here they are. Uh, where are they, Mavis? Can you get those out for me? And suddenly they produce five words which actually don't mean much. They just sound like they should be the values of the business. And the- Yeah, it's lip service. It's, it's you know, we've got something on a wall which uh, hopefully you'll read and might resonate with you, but mm-hmm. we don't actually live and breathe it. And what, what, I, what I like is the examples of people who, who live and breathe them. Um, uh, in fact, I've got a, a very dear friend who <laughs> I won't name, but his his organisation's a couple of million turnover organisation, and mm-hmm. he has his values on the wall. Yep. Uh, however, uh, as a uh, quite a modest man running, you know, a growing business, uh, when he moved uh, moved home with his wife, um, he had come into work the next day, and it was a, a, a company wide meeting, and one of the staff said, "Has your new home got a swimming pool?" Now he he basically lied uh, because he wanted to be modest and right. you know uh, and and be relatable. So he said, "No, it hasn't." But one of the values on the wall of the organisation was transparency and honesty. Right. Um, so on his drive home that evening, he was beating himself up. And the very first thing he did the next day was call everybody into a meeting room 
and uh, and confess that he'd lied the day before. <laughs> Goodness, uh, and and here were the reasons for it. But but it need, you know, nonetheless, this is one of our company values. And what was interesting about that is that from that point onwards, all of the staff had permission to live the values because the example that had been set by the man at the top was this this you know these these values hold true, and that was an uncomfortable thing for him to do. But it gave everybody permission to live and breathe the values. And as an organisation, they uh, they do very very well. It's had a record year because they live their values, and, they, and customers relate to them. Fantastic! It can't be. It's um. I, I know lots of businesses talk about this. Well, there's businesses who try to talk about this a lot. But how does a business fight get to the heart of their that of that? How do they get to the real core values of their business? Because I, I give an example. I've got a, um, a big client in in London who were bought out by a US business, and one of the first things that happened was that uh, you know they changed all the branding and and what have you, and the colours of the furniture and and all the superficial stuff. But then these values appeared on the wall. Um, they were the values of the US parent um, and the British business just looked at them and kind of laughed and went, oh, yeah, whatever. How does a business get to the heart of their core values? How do you discover what they really are? Well, we're not in my area of expertise. Uh, however, I do know that you've had a previous guest who does this brilliantly. Mm. Um, uh, so I'll, I'll shout out to Barbara Winter, <laughs> yeah. um, who, who I know has been on the show. Um and the way I know Barnaby does it is he spends – it's the priority first thing he'll do when working with any client. But it's a really uh, in-depth workshop involving all of the staff yep. um, to, to kind of find the values that the, the organization as a whole identifies with. Um, and then it's, then, then it's built collaboratively around everybody in the organization. Um, rather than just being somebody saying, look, this is what I think we should stand for. This is what will look good on a marketing um, brochure. Uh, so, you know, let's put it on the wall and, and pretend we do that. It is lip service unless it's proactively um, uh, pursued. Warren, what are the trends you're seeing at the moment? What are the current trends in business that you see changing and, and how are they going to continue to develop? Well, the most significant change that I'm seeing right now, um, which I, uh, I really welcome and so do most, and that's organisations becoming a little bit more heart-connected. So the old terms of business-to-business or business-to-consumer are kind of out the window. It's it's now H2H, human-to-human. Human right. and, uh, and a few people talk about this, but it is about, it's about people connecting with people, people uh, doing business with people. Quite often on stage, I ask an audience, uh, particularly if it's small business or owner audience, you know, who considers themselves to be a salesperson? And you might get, you know, 20% of the audience put their hands in yeah. the air. And for me, you know, if you're running a small business and you don't consider yourself a salesperson, the chances are you've got an expensive hobby. <laughs> um, and and what, I, what I quite often try to get a, an audience to to think about is that, you know, most of us still think selling is the um, 20th century version of it, you know, the shiny suit and jamming feet in doorways, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, but selling today is, uh, it's a beautiful thing. It's about finding solutions for people. It's about having the integrity to walk away if you're not the right solution. It's very much relationship-driven, um, and it's packed with integrity. And and if you're that type of organization, you stand a really good chance of succeeding, providing obviously the other ingredients like having a good product or service in the first place mm. is there. Um, but, 
but today, uh, even big corporate brands on social media now, you can see it's actually individuals expressing a bit of personality. And okay, it does bite a few on the backside when they uh, when they perhaps relax a little too much. But um, but it is about human to human relationships. And I, you know, when when you talk about the, you know, what we used to call um, consultative selling, I guess. Um, it, it's not changed at all. It's just that I think you can't get away with the with the really kind of um, crappy way that people used to sell or, you know, the, the, the sell and run away kind of mentality that some of the businesses used to have. Um, and, you know, everything is you, – you mentioned social media there. Everything is so obvious and so – um, out there, uh, you know, if, if someone does something that doesn't um, doesn't delight you, then you know it will it will go out online and people will, will see it. You know, it's the uh, you know it, there's an interesting rise that I'm seeing at the moment. Well, it's not at the moment; it's continuing of things like TripAdvisor. Um, and in the recruitment world, there's a, a site called Glassdoor, which is the same kind of thing. And um, you know, people like to moan on there; they don't like to particularly say how wonderful things are. Um, but if you're not happy, um, it's it's very easy to tell the world about it. And businesses have got to be very clever, um, particularly maintaining their relationships, but also their reputation with 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 that kind of kind of stuff. So, a brilliant point, and and one I firmly agree with. Uh, we are living in an age of due diligence. Everybody is using uh, uh, sites like TripAdvisor or LinkedIn testimonials or whatever it might be, just to just to check the social proof of any any organisation. So, having strategies in place to uh, to ensure that um, you know you're managing your reputation properly is essential. And uh, you know, you're right. People are either motivated to uh, to say uh, really, really good things or really, really bad things. Um, apathy tends not to motivate people to take the time to go and uh, to, to feedback or review. So even having strategies for that is um, is is a good place to be. Um, but interestingly, I, I think I think the age of social proof is one part of that. But another part of that is things like. Um, the uh, diversity we find ourselves now, the the cross fertilization of cultures is is also having an impact. Um, I, I, I one example actually, um, the, the Chinese have a, a concept called guanxi. Right. Uh, guanxi is about uh, if you're going to do business, significant business with somebody, then what you do is you um, you you meet, bring families together, and make sure values are aligned before you before you pursue the business uh, route and it's just one example of how um uh, different cultures are making us a little bit more heart connected okay. um than the kind of you know the ruthless way business was done in in the 80s 90s etc it's a it's a different world now where we we've got so many different influences mm. in the way we do things uh, that and technology is a big part of that of course uh, that it's making everybody a little bit more accountable you cannot hide um, if you are delivering bad service, uh, it's certainly not for long, um, because the, the the internet will shout about it, uh, and you'll be found. Are out. we going back to the 1950s in that way then? Because when you mentioned the sort of the Chinese concept of bringing families together, um, you know, I think of uh, 
of of 1950s where you know someone might bring the the prospective client home for dinner that kind of stuff which used to get done a lot um or meals out where where you know the the husbands and wives would all be together is that something that's renewing is that something that because it seems like certainly something that disappeared over through the 80s and 90s no, I, I, well, I don't think that's ever gone away. It may have migrated to the golf course or, or something <laughs> okay. along those lines. But, 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 you know, when you're doing a significant amount of business with people, then you know you do get to know them over a period of time. And and we've always done business with people we like. Um, yeah, of course. You know, that, that makes business just that little bit more fun. In fact, you know, it's quite a luxury position um, today because you can actually choose not to work with people that. You, that you know, you don't have a, a value alignment, or, or 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 simply just don't click with. You don't have rapport with. Um, so we can be choosy too, you know. And of course, a lot of people won't even meet the clients they're working with today. Um, in the gig economy, you can be taking clients from all over the world without ha- ever having to meet them. But you're probably still looking for some sort of connection um, on social media or or through your through your your other interactions um so it's again you know this is all part of the change that we started talking about at the the front of the show Uh, the world has changed beyond all recognition and we we have to adapt and we have to understand now what people are measuring us uh, with what the barometer is I think we, yeah, we just we, one of the things you mentioned there um, was the ability to decide whether you want to work with a business based on information you can find out about them. Um, you know, and there's been good examples in the press recently of uh, you know countries making political decisions about um, about their population and how that then affects businesses attached to those countries. Um, you know, the one I'm thinking about at the moment is uh, is Brunei and the and the Dorchester Group. Um, which is owned by by the Sultan of Brunei, and people saying, well, they wouldn't stay in one of his hotels now. Um, those sort of things can have a massive impact very, very quickly. Where previously, I guess it would have had it would have taken a lot longer to happen. You also mentioned service there and how that that's affected by things. As the as the world speeds and continues to change, how does service get affected? Well, I think I, th- I think service has no choice but to. But to improve and be personalised, and and uh, we you know we have a, a trend towards uh, uh, experiential, uh, creating experiences for people and making whatever product or service you have more of an experience for the customer. Right. And in fact, some recent research showed that um, again we keep harping back to this millennial uh, term, which. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I think millennials loathe as much as as older generations. <laughs> I'm sure, um, uh, and especially as the the term millennial kind of encompasses several age demographics in itself. Well, it's what's the definition? Uh, so, a millennial is somebody born after 1980, uh, but there are right. kind of subsets of that um, too. But the 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 reason why I think it's important is that I think I think uh, for younger generations, it's important to know what makes uh, the Older people, they'll interact with day-to-day tick. Yeah. What motivates them to make the decisions and to communicate the same in the way that they do, and vice versa. You know, it's a two-way street. It's about understanding first and foremost. Um, but anyway, this research around experiential um, mm-hmm. was basically said there were there were uh, a, f- a few trends that were leading the charge. But given given a hypothetical situation of an additional hundred pounds in your hand. Mm-hmm. Um, 78% of millennials would choose to spend it on an experience than an item. Right. Than a thing. 
um, where if you think about the kind of materialistic sort of times of the 70s, 80s, 90s, perhaps that would have been a, a different choice. But 78% would would rather spend it on an experience, and the primary driver for that is the the number one reason um, was in order to have social interactions away from social media. Right. So they're craving that kind of human connection. And the second um, trend was because of a desire for a new perspective to learn something new. Okay. Um, so for a lot of businesses, uh, when you're thinking about your service, your proposition, the more experiential you can be with your clients, the chances are you're going to motivate positive feedback and loyalty and recommendation and referral just because you've created more of an experience from it. Um, I've, I've recently uh, uh, travelled to Australia. Okay. And uh, Singapore Airport was was the place I came back. Now, Singapore Airport has won uh, Airport of the Year internationally for, I think, something like six or seven years uh, right. you know, consistently. Yeah. And what they've done is absolutely fantastic. They've realized that actually, you know, nobody really likes traveling particularly long haul. So the more they can do to create an experience when you're in the airport and killing time for however mm. many hours your stopover is, um, the better for them. So they've got a number of parks, butterfly gardens. Yeah, um, they've got a cinema. They've got a if you're if you're in Singapore Airport for more than two and a half hours, they've got an open open top bus tour of the city. <laughs> yeah, they've got yeah. you know as I say, swimming pools, um, kids play areas, massage chairs. You know, they've really taken the time to create uh, an experience while you wait. And it's kind of the old Disney principle, you know, entertain people while they queue. Uh, and so my 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 thing is for most uh, organizations, it's what, what can you do to kind of adopt that thinking into your own business? There's so much we can learn from these businesses. I know Disney's a bit of a cliche. Um, it is. But I absolutely love it. I think there's, there's – um, I, I, tell a story of going to Disney a couple of years ago where I was at a conference and I woke up very early because of the five-hour different time difference and I, I went for a jog around the lake and one of the things I saw out the corner of my eye, I thought, well, that looks a bit weird. It looks like people are messing with the plants. When I got closer to them, they were dusting it. Um, and, you know, their, their level of, of detail is so great. They dust plants in the evening so that when you turn up, they look perfect. Um, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. We do that in our own garden. Don't you? <laughs> <for the plants? laughs> do you know what? I'm looking out the window at the moment and thinking uh, it's such a grey and bloody awful day. Um, I'm not sure if dusting is going to make them any better. But, <laughs> but you know, when, when businesses go that far, no wonder they become cliches. Um, and there's so much we can learn from them. You, I, right when we started to talk, you talked about um, you know businesses tuning into their values, and that actually the majority of the bigger businesses don't do that. But then, if you look at some of the real success stories of the of the last while, businesses like Google and Amazon, they are extraordinarily tuned into that stuff. Um, and there's a lot we can learn from them. Oh, absolutely, but but they're they're data driven businesses, so they are they are really trying to understand trends and behaviours and patterns mm -hmm. uh, in order to be relevant. And you know, as much as um, many of us don't particularly like the amount of information that some of these brands are collecting about us, we could all learn something about um, improving our services based on exactly what people want what are the what are the trends the patterns and the behaviors uh, you know what are the things that uh, demonstrate to you know to a customer that you understand who they are i mean the, the reason why they want that data is because they want to 
present them with um, more opportunities to buy on things that they know they're already interested in. Yes, yeah. yeah. Age-old advertising. Um, so, that, you know, what can we do for our customers just by taking a bit of time to understand them better? Uh, it's simple principles, really, isn't it? If, um, if we look at what I mean, obviously, so those, those big data businesses are one thing. If you think about the businesses that you interact with, with Warren, who would you hold out as a as a kind of shining example of someone who's who's communicating really well with their client base and their employee base and doing a great job? Well, um, the one which I really admire at the moment is uh, Intuit. Um, the stuff that they're doing for uh, their audience. And first of all, their product is amazing. And it's so that, that's all the time. accounting software. Yeah, it's quick. I think something like QuickBooks. Mm-hmm. Um, I was uh, thrilled to be part of their uh, London event uh, recently, uh, which was just a, a fabulous event with some amazing speakers. Mm-hmm. Um, and a you know, huge audience of both accountants and small business owners. Um, but this was, a, this was a brand who's really taken time to understand their audience and understand how to add more value and, and create experiences for them. That's exactly what that particular day was, it, or if it was two days. Um, but it was, a, it was an experience bringing people together and building relationships. And what, what surprised me uh, was just how approachable and many of the key people in the organization were. Right. They were actively part of the event, mm-hmm. engaged with and having conversations with and you know, not sitting from, from the or watching from the corners, which you, you can often find at these events. Yeah. Yeah. Their sleeves were rolled off and they were stuck in with everybody else. So it was uh, it's just just one example of a brand that I think is doing some wonderful things. What I think is really interesting about that is, you know, the product that they produce is something that I guess we need. It's not something that you would choose to have if you didn't have to do accountancy. You wouldn't do it, um, or most people wouldn't do it. Although I'm an accountant, so I can probably tell you I, I still would. But um, it's not necessarily a sexy product in in that way. Um, although it's uh, it's you know they are finding ways of making it exciting for people, which is which is wonderful. Well, you know, obviously we're, again, another area where we're living in in times of great change. I mean, for the accountancy profession alone, the old um, compliance work, which they used to do uh, week in, week out Mm -hmm. uh, and get paid for, is now just completely commoditized. It's it's all digitized. It's it's a touch of a button stuff. Yep. So as a profession, they've got to reinvent themselves in order to be relevant to the audience that they, they serve. It's got to be more service-based. It's got to be adding more value. It's got to be based on relationships. So it's a profession that's going through a lot of change. But what's good about the Intuit product, QuickBooks, is that um, it and, – and, you know, I'm sure there, there are – other products that are doing the same thing, but it's the whole intuitive nature of making life easy for you. As much as most of us, you know, running small businesses, loathe the the sitting down and doing no expenses and you know the invoicing and uh, you know banking and everything else that goes with yeah. it. When you have something that makes that job really, really easy and yet still gives you all of your kind of management data and information so you can make more informed decisions, that does start to become really quite exciting. You know, I I was as resistant to everybody else for cloud accounting um, and, you know, having to do stuff myself. But then when you see just how easy it is, um, it was uh, a whole new experience. And that leaves us at a point where it's probably good to ask you the big question, Warren. What's the one thing that you'd love people to take away, the, the, the golden nugget that you could leave the listeners with today that can help them change their business and make it better? 
So the one thing I would leave people with is uh, a kind of a summary of the conversation we've just had, James, okay. which is that the world has changed beyond all recognition, and it's specifically changed within different niches and industries too. Uh, if you if you are running your own business, one of the best favors that you can uh, do for yourself is to become a student of that change, and to keep keep one. Uh, eye on it at all times. We've already mentioned Google. Um, and an example I like to use from stage is that prior to the internet and prior to Google hitting the scenes, there was one brand that dominated search across the planet, and that was the Yellow Pages. Yep. And we we were you know active in multiple continents, head offices in Texas and Reading in the UK, uh, and they 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 absolutely dominated search. But there was nobody in the organisation with one eye on the future thinking. What's this thing called the internet and how's it going to impact our business? And I and I just firmly believe that for most small businesses today and large businesses alike, um, being a student of change is probably the best thing they can do for themselves. Regularly typing into Google or YouTube search uh, and asking the question, what does the future hold in and XXX equals your professional niche? Uh, that would be the first thing. Mm-hmm. Um and then the second, this I know you said one thing, but it still relates to change, yeah. and that's the change around the behaviours in which we communicate. Stay on top of that and stay relevant to your customers by knowing how they engage. Absolutely fantastic thoughts, Warren. Thank you so, so much. It's been lovely chatting with you, and uh, thanks for taking the time out of your busy schedule. My pleasure to be here, James. Thanks for having me. I hope you really enjoyed this episode of The Only One Business Show. And I look forward to sharing your company again very soon. If you'd like to subscribe, please do so wherever you pick up your podcasts. And in the meantime, have a great day. Bye for now.